and welcome to the podcast of the Practical Medium. And I am Michelle, your Practical Medium, who is trying to hold herself accountable and responsible and do podcasts on the regular and kind of sucking at it. Uh, but seriously, I had was kitten sitting last week, and he's at the phase where he is just Mr. Hell on Wheels. Everything goes into his mouth, and it, you know, and he just attacks everything. And I would have had so many interruptions, and I could have put him into a bedroom and close the door on him for a half hour but I'd probably wind up with a cat that's all pissed off and and, and takes it out on me even more because he's sweet but he's got too much energy and he's just at that stage so he is back home with his mom and I am sure he is driving her up a wall now instead of me oh well <laughs> it's like I you know, it's just cats, kittens. They, they, they are what they are. I love them, but sometimes I hate some of the faces they go through. Any hoodle. So tonight's topic is uh, going to be something that I think has a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, or maybe there's this different schools of thought. And um, it is how much of our thoughts do the non-living, undead, well, dead people really hear? Um, and I bring this up because... There's a school of thought that the dead can sense everything and hear everything in our thoughts in our head this, because, well, they don't have a body anymore, so they can just, you know, step into our bodies and, and pick everything up. Well, first of all, the idea that they can pass through us, you know, kind of like the whole Casper the Friendly Ghost walking through walls thing, not really a thing. They don't, walking through a human body that is... Um, you know, not tuned into the dead is apparently extremely uncomfortable and gross. That's <laughs> how I've heard it described when asking the question. You know, it's like walking through. Oh God! Oh, is this gross? Okay, so I will I will share. It's like if you've ever seen a pot of soup with the skim on top of it. Not you know, it's like it's formed a thick skin because it's congealed. The fats have congealed, and then there's liquid underneath. Apparently, that is what it feels like to uh, stick a hand into a human that is not open to the other side. And even for those who can channel, like, full body channel and let somebody take them over for a little while, even then, it's not the most comfortable se sensation. So, yeah. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I just got filled out on what it really feels like. Great. Um, and that would be via, uh, via Ken, as usual, by the way. So he's very descriptive and very, uh, how shall I say, vivid in his um, relaying of sensations to me and concepts and stuff like that. So moving on. So the, the, um, their hear being able to hear our thoughts is very limited. They don't know what's in our hearts. They don't know what's in our minds. And there's very good reason for that. The body... The human body has a skeleton, as we all know, because otherwise we'd just be kind of puddles of goo scooting along, you know, everywhere. And that skeleton actually acts as a kind of a Faraday cage. Now, if you're not familiar with a Faraday cage, that is um, a cage of, I think it's copper. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the metal is, but it's a huge cage that blocks radio transmissions. It's a very basic uh, piece of physics but it is effective at keeping um, it, the skeleton acts like that cage. It keeps most of our thoughts behind the cage, which is the skull. 
Now, I think now that I'm thinking about her and being poked, the Faraday cage also has electricity running through it to help and make it to make it active. So I have apparently been corrected, I think. Um, and that's kind of the same as a human. We have electricity running through our bodies because we generate electricity. We are electricity. And that's um, what makes us work. And so it makes our, our skeletons more effective as a Faraday cage. So now I'm going to, you know, the bones and everything in the rest of your body, um, they do their thing, you know, but where the, the Faraday cage is most, is centered, I guess you could say, is the spinal column and the, the head and the, and the skull. Because that's, the spinal column is our major nervous system highway and it sends out the signals from the brain to the rest of the body to do its things. And of course, our brain is our brain, and it, um, you know, it um, <laughs> makes us who we are, so to speak. It gives, actually, the brain is, uh, I might have to do a whole podcast on this, but the brain is the place where our souls seat. That's uh, where they lock in, get connected. It's what holds the soul and the body for the most part. I mean, there's other little points of attachment, but the brain is the major spot. And I guess maybe I'll get into that during a dementia com uh, podcast because it's part of how it works. If I haven't done a dementia, I think I have. Anyway, maybe I'm getting dementia. So back to the whole idea of the Faraday cage and the skull and our thoughts. When we think, you know, we, you know, the thoughts are to somebody who's undead or even me, because I have, I shit you not, and this is weird, have picked up on the thoughts of the living. And they're actually, um, it's not, it's, it doesn't happen like all of a sudden, boom. Well, actually, take that back. I've anticipated conversations that were about to happen and had no clue they were coming except for the fact that I knew that person was going to say what they were going to say. And it's not in a way of anticipation. It's just listening and all, oh, I know what you're going to talk about. You know, it, it, it's, it's strange and it's weird, but it's, um, the reason why I pick it up is because either there's a dead person amplifying it or I'm just sensitive enough to pick up the thoughts and I'm not a mind reader because neither are the dead and this is why we have two we have multiple layers of thoughts there's not I'm, I'm simplifying it by saying two but there's actually multiple so the the outer layer of thought is um comes off of the skull it's like it's right underneath the skull so to speak so it's there, it's, it's broadcasting, it's transmitting, it's something, it's, you know, you're acting like a low-power radio station for the dead. And they can, you know, it's like these thoughts that, like, they're just the thoughts at, the, at your mouth, you know, like you're about to say something. It's, a con it's something about you're, you're, you're observing your surroundings and you're thinking about them kind of thing. Oh, boy, I hate when an asteroid flux hits. Um, you're looking... Um, you're looking at something and you're thinking about it. Those thoughts are obvious. Uh, what else? So you're, if, or if you're in an emotional state, that is also that you're you're sending off those signals of, oh hey yeah yeah I think that guy's a real jerk, and I don't care for him for X Y Z reasons. Well, the dead are going to pick up from on that too. So now all of these are purely surface thoughts. They have they're not deep. They don't go deep into our head. They are just off the cuff, in the moment, observational. Take your pick, however you want to put it. It's just, there's just really no depth to them. 
because they're at the top of the head and you're about to either say them or you're thinking of them and they will pass into the rest of your brain and go rest and reside in the memory section or whatever because oh you said that so yeah that's just that's but that's all most dead people pick up because they're not able to get past the faraday cage what they are able to do um you know, they just, they are not able to do, so to speak. They might be able to get underneath a little bit, but not a whole lot. And that's only when people are actively trying to connect themselves with the other side. Do they get to the thoughts that are a little underneath that layer? And those are thoughts that are a little more, hmm, wondering, wonder what I'm going to eat today. Or who am I going to meet up with? And, you know, the questions, the decision-making stuff, um, the next layer of thoughts underneath the observational. But what they do not do, um, and what they cannot do, unless explicitly invited or, like me, you're open to the other side, like a 12-lane highway, that you get, um, they don't get to that part of you that is your internal, deepest, darkest, happiest, whatever thoughts, and uh, even memories. Because we, we all have stuff that we bury. We all have stuff that is deep inside of us that we really don't want others to know about. You know, there are personal secrets. And because of the skeleton and the skull acting as a Faraday cage for that section of our brain, the deepest, dark, darkest stuff that feels like it's in the center of our, of our physical brain, um, is uh, protected. And so the things that we might, you know, feel deeply about, even about the person who's dead is not easily accessible i kid you not it you know it's like some the, the love you feel from somebody they can pick up but the the context the the language the um you know the words that you might use all of that stuff is pretty much um not accessible to the dead it is locked away it's buried deep there's just nothing that they can really pick up and the reason for that is, as I've said, the body protects the mind and the mind protects the body, so to speak. Um, sometimes the mind makes the body do things that it shouldn't, but, you know, we're humans. That's what we're here for to do. But so by and large, um, if we went around broadcasting every little last thing in our heads to the dead and that could hear it, we'd have so many problems. They would be able to attack, they'd be able to do things to us, they'd be able to manipulate us in ways that even worse than a parasite does. And if you've listened to the Parasite podcast, you'll understand how parasites work on a low level. They can't read your mind, they can, but they can, only, they can only influence your actions. If they were able to read your minds, oh my god, it would be awful. We would be zombies, literal zombies, because we'd be at the control of these parasites. I mean, it, it, it'd be like those worms that... Um, that control insects um, to do, you know, what is it? They, they basically become the insect and can get the insect to get near a potential host so it can start its cycle again. And I cannot think of the name of the worm right now. It's probably a good idea. If you Google, Google it up, it would be gross. However, we would be kind of like that because we lose our autonomy because, well, they can get to our heads and they can get to our deepest, darkest desires and they could control those things. And, you know, do we really want that? No. I don't think so. So it's what we we have to deal with and live with as humans that people on the other side don't have the same amount of access to our heads as we might think they do. Just it, they just don't. It is 
uh, it is our protection against people on the other side to uh, that would do us harm to keep them out and keep them out of our controls. Now you might be asking, well, hell, you're a medium. You're talking about the people you you're open to them that they can get into your head. It depends. It's not automatic. It's not something that I could just say, oh, well, hey, you're a dead person. Welcome to my brain. I have to, um, I have to be able to trust you well enough to let my guard down and say, okay, you can rummage around in that part of my head. Um, because if, when they do that, when I give them that permission, it's quid pro quo, haha, <laughs> considering the current news. Anyway, um, so if I rummage around in their brain, they, or if they rummage around in my head, I can rummage around in theirs. I can pick stuff off of them that they might not want me to know about or keep me secret. And in order to keep it secret, they have to walk out of my range of a hearing. It's my, my hearing, and you know, when I communicate with somebody in the dead, I focus mostly on the verbal as opposed to looking for visual because verbal is easier. So, but... You know, somebody walks out of your range of hearing physically, they do the, it's, you know, you can't hear them anymore. The dead do the same thing. So they walk out of my range of internal hearing, I guess, for lack of a better word, to keep away from me. That means if I can't hear them, they can't hear me and they can't get near me to, you know, to do anything nefarious. Because I will know they are doing something bad and I can kick their asses from here to eternity. Literally and figuratively. No, just kidding. But I can I, I can make them regret the decision to try to screw around in my head. So, um, more so because actually when you're physical, you do have the upper hand against the dead. And I'm sure I've brought that up. But physical people do have the advantage against somebody who's non-physical. We can affect our world more easily than they can. And we also have the strength of our bodies to push back on them. And as a medium, I have the advantage of awareness of the dead and the advantage of knowing weaknesses and knowing how to, to keep them out of my shit. But even then, they still need a bit of an invitation to get to stuff that I, that I have locked away. And even Ken, he's, it took him a long time for, to get to the level of uh, easy back and forth with me. Partially because of um, you know what I've experienced as a child, um, abuse issues, uh, my personal abuse issues. And I've got a lot of it. And just trusting, even as much as I love him, and I would trust him to that to the ends of the earth, there's just a part of me that's always been protected against that, uh, against the, you know, the negatives. Um, it's, a, it's just another long story um, that's part of my incredibly screwed up life. And uh, maybe sometime I'll write an autobiography or, or do a podcast biography. Um to give you an idea of what it was like to be an unprotected medium with nothing but negativity around you. So, I'm sidetracking. So, I'm saying Ken has my heart. He is somebody who I trust implicitly. He has shown uh, me visuals that he would trust me with his life if he was still al He trusted me with his life when he was alive. And, you know, who? that's about as deep as you can get when somebody tells you, I will trust you with my life. If I was still alive, I would be telling you this. You know, so there's there's a lot there, but it took a long time to get there. It took a long time for me to, to relax and let that guard down and for me to accept that, well, you know, two-way street. So with normal people, muggles, normies, whatever, take your pick. No, I'm not a 4 I just like some of their words. Um, the um, 
they don't have the advantage of, of, of knowledge that there's something out there, that there's something around them, and that they might need to protect themselves against it. So the brain and body uh, work to do that on a level that we're never aware of. So it can't, the, we can't resist parasites. You know, they, they find their way to us just like parasites do in our physical life. But their ability to, to affect us is, again, limited. So it's a little, it's a little different. So when you have lost a loved one, um, especially somebody who is a partner and, you know, you love them to the ends of the earth, and they were, um, you know, you both, the two of you were in just incredible love with one another. And that is nothing wrong with that. When one of you dies, the, you will not have access to your partner's uh, head apart from the surface thoughts. Even though you think you should because of the bond you had when you were physical. However, sometimes the bond is just that. It's physical. And it's the chemicals and it's the things that make us want to be with one another and enjoy one another. And, you know, once the honeymoon is over, it, it, the mind takes over and we've, we learn about the people that we fall in love with in the first place. And, you know, that's when the long-term bonds come in is after the honeymoon phase. So those bonds are there. Yes, they are very real. But what they do not do is grant access to that part of your head. I mean, you, as I, you have a partner, you love them dearly, but sometimes you don't want them to know things about yourself and they don't want things to, to share things with you, even though you might think that they should. We all have our secrets that we just don't want to talk about, and that's okay. I'm not sitting here giving relationship advice. I'm just saying that these are things that happen, uh, whether we realize it or not. And in death, those things are protected from our partners. So we might, you know... We'll find out about their thoughts in another way, like reading old emails or texts or finding stuff online or what, what have you, that we go, holy shit, I never knew that. Um, but they don't have the ability to get into your head and say, oh, wow, look at what she was thinking or he was thinking about me. You know, it's because of the protection of that, the natural protection that the physical body gives us. So... You know, the, when it, so when it comes to this whole idea that, you know, the dead know everything and the dead know what's going on in your heart and your mind, it's not true. They, I have come across so much insecurity from, from partners who have passed with their living because the living have the upper hand. They're the ones who can turn away from the, just trying to reconnect after death and say, screw you, I'm out of here. And... I don't want anything to do with you because you pissed me off. Now I'm, I'm done with you for the, until it's time to come home and I'm going to kick your ass from here to kingdom come. So there you know, you know, you got, it, it's just, that's one of their true and honest fears because they don't have access to our heads. They don't have access to that part of your mind to go, oh, well, I know she loves me and I want her to, she wants to be with me forever and ever. And she's willing to try to connect with me or he, because it's, it's usually more women than men just because statistics. So that's why I'm going with the she pro, um, pronoun. Um, the um, men um, and women, the men are very insecure for, for quite some time until they're assured that, you know, the bond is there, that the woman, that their, their, their wife is still in love with them and is still seeking to reconnect with them. 
So there's there's other there's other things to unpick in that whole thing, and I'm just touching the surface for the the to give you an idea of what happens. So the dead do actually get insecure, because they don't know what somebody's thinking. They just don't. There's no way of knowing because they don't have that access. Now, um, having gotten that all out of the way, can you give access to somebody who has passed, and that person? only and nobody else the answer is yes would i recommend it um not in general because the um your actions with the part if you have if you're trying to reconnect to a, a deceased partner your actions are going to speak louder than words as it is anyway and a lot of people repartner because they don't want to be alone for the rest of their life they need somebody and that's perfectly fine i'm not criticizing that at all what I'm saying is that we all have our things to, to do in life and by not for just the simple fact of not forgetting somebody we love is enough to keep them on a secure, not worried path and, and uh, stick around. They don't need to access your brain. The reason why I don't recommend it unless you really want to do it and devote yourself to the whole concept is because it's hard it's a lot of work and sometimes it may not be necessarily worth it to try to do it and um, you might accidentally open up yourself to something else that will will take advantage of that pathway your partners can only protect you so far just like they could in life I mean it's equivalented to the, the protection is more along the lines of they can protect you from some things that are out there and unseen to you but they can't stop you from a speeding they can't protect you from a speeding car they're going to get run over the same as you so there's some things that they just can't do and they are limited as much as we are when it comes to um, being able to protect so there is you can and i will i will say what you can do is that you can let them go you can let give them a little more access to the deeper thoughts in your mind that are just below the skull and it's not necessarily anything that you do physically you just set your intent to say okay i'm going to give you these at the access to my decision making process well i wouldn't even say decision making process because that can go bad um let's say let's go to um my underlayer of thoughts <laughs> underwear and oh god somebody's making jokes and as i'm doing this and one guess who and one guess as to who excuse me um so he tripped me up god dang it uh let's get back to my thinking here and stop making all these pauses and icky noises the thought layer you just want to give them enough in in-depth thought process access you don't want to let them you know more, any more than that unless you're very practiced and confident at what you want them to have access to so if you're meditating or you set your intent and say okay i want you to have this much access to this part of me that's fine but keep a protective distance you are not shutting them out you are not denying them anything you're just giving them the privilege of having the ability to get to these thoughts 
And you wouldn't, you may not even, uh, exp you might explain this to them if they were alive because they want to know, well, why did you do that? And you explain yourself. That's the layer of thinking that you can let them get into so they can see your thought processes and see what you're doing. You know, but you don't want to give them the influence into your decision making. You want the decision making to be entirely, entirely in your control. You can ask questions. You can ask for input from them. And, uh, you know, you get the responses and the signs or whatever you look, you would prefer the response to come as. And, uh, you know, that will happen. And it, it does take work. But again, keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Keep it safe. Because you may trust and love this person implicitly, but you're, most people are not sensitives. You're not mediums. And you don't have the control that you need. You can practice it, absolutely. You can work towards it. Nobody is, um, you know, is, can, will stop, is ever stopped from trying to become open to the other side. It is possible for everybody. It's just a lot more work than for somebody who is open. Somebody like me, I have had a lot of work to put into this stuff. Um, some mediums have it easy as, as can be, not all of them. We're all different. So. If I've had to put the work in, you can imagine what somebody who is not supposed to be open has to put into. So it's not about dedicating. It's not turning into a monk. It's just putting the work in. And it can be a lot of work and it can take a lot of years. So that's why I'm saying keep it light, keep it simple, give them some access a little bit more, but don't give them the entire enchilada. That's a little too much. But, you know, you can, you can still rebuild a connection on that. And, or you don't have to give them any access at all. You can just let them have your surface thoughts. And if you want them to know what you're thinking, you tell them. You just say it out loud. Nobody's around. Nobody's listening, except maybe Alexa. You go, okay, this is what I'm thinking, and this is what I want you to know. They'll hear it. You know, they'll get it. They will get the message. Or you can write out an email and never send it. Or you can write out a text and not send it. They do get that information. So, you know, that's a two-way street. It's, it works. You can, you can keep up the connection and not give them access to the, any more access to your head than they have. You just got to remember that, you know, they don't have the same kind of access that some would have you think. And that's all you really want to keep in mind. That, oh, well, they should, they should know what I'm thinking. You know, they, they, they have access to my head. No, they don't. They just don't. So keep it simple. Keep it straight. Let them know what you're thinking. Talk out loud. That's perfectly okay. Or if you don't, if you can't talk out loud, like I said, write something out somewhere and let them know that way. You know, it's it's a, it's sharing is wonderful, and opening yourself up to the other side can be exciting and interesting and uh, give you an experience you never thought you would in life. And reconnecting to a partner who has passed is also. It's also a wonderful journey, and it's a, but it's also a lot of work, and you have to take steps along the way to make sure you're okay, that you're doing what you're supposed to, and that your partner is, is also on board with you. you know, most of the time they are, but sometimes they don't always get it right, because, well, as I say, we really don't change when we die. Some of us still can screw up even when we're dead. When we're dead, excuse me. Well, on that note... And I apologize if I sound like a frog or kind of hoarse. It's just um, perimenopause has kicked in and I get dehydrated. I drink water. I turn into an incontinent poodle. So I'm kind of trying not to, uh, not trying to keep myself from drinking. I just need a break from having to go to the bathroom. And uh, 
one of those things is not having to go to the bathroom in the middle of a podcast. Now, dealing with my loud, obnoxious furnace, yeah. If you notice a pause back there, that's what that was. So on that note, I am going to sign off. And again, questions, anything, feel free to let me know an email or just um, wait till the next podcast for my next brain farts of the latest topic from the other side. And on that note, I wish you all a good day, a good night, a good week, month, wherever you happen to be, and hope everything's going well and wonderful, and take care.